Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of the Bees Analytica podcast. I'm delighted to say we're joined by former Football League manager Dino Manria, who will be joining us for an interview talking a bit through his career, working with different owners and the finance of football, and then we'll tie it up at the end with discussion about his coaching pathway. So, James, leave it to you. Yeah, so um, you came across to England in 1996, obviously, from your um, native Tunisia. Uh, how, how was it different to, to playing to playing in your homeland? Uh, well, it was, uh, it was 1995, actually. So, uh, yeah, I came to Burnley Football Club uh, from all the clubs you can come to from a, a nice warm climate in Tunisia. You get to uh, the coldest and wettest place in England, probably Burnley. Uh, but to be fair, it's a fantastic football club. It's uh, lovely, lovely people. I still keep in touch a lot, uh, with a lot of people there at the football club. Um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a culture shock at the beginning. I think you got to adjust to the, the British culture, uh, not just the weather, uh, the type of football they expect. Uh, everything was different. Uh, where I come from, Tunisia is, is all about more technical game. Uh, but I, when I got here, it was the, the physical demand of the game was, uh, was immense. It was, uh, it was a proper culture shock. Um, in 1995, it was just uh, the start of the the players coming to the UK from all over the world. Before that, there were there were many British players, uh, but I remember when I came to Burnley, I probably the, I was the only foreign player there. There is uh, obviously Scottish players there uh, with English players, and uh, you know, getting to the dressing room uh, with the Scottish, with the, with the, with London boys, with Northern boys, different accent, uh, you know. You think the English that you learned from school, well, I learned from school, will put you in good stead. But then you walk into the dressing room with, uh, with a different accent. I had to get my head around that as well, because they don't teach you Scots, uh, Scottish accent uh, at schools in Tunisia. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that was a proper culture shock with some of the accents. And, uh, it was, it was. I, uh, yeah, I remember we had Ted McMean in the dressing room. And, and Ted McMean, uh, he's, a, he's a top guy and, you know, and uh, he's a very, very funny guy. And I never understood the word he said. Um, every, <laughs> other, every other word with it was the F word. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know anything about the F word because they don't teach you that school either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you, you mentioned the difference in culture and the difference in football. Did you kind of fall in love with the British, the British culture and the way of doing things or? Absolutely. I, I love the passion. The, 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 one of the biggest things, I think, was uh, you go to every game, you go to stadiums and stadiums are packed. Whichever level you go to, the stadium are full. The passion of the fans, uh, how they set up so, so close to the pitch, uh, it, it, was, uh, it was unbelievable. And, and I think, uh, and not just me, there is a lot of players who come in from Europe, from whatever, South America, from Africa, they come to England and they fall in love with the British game because... Uh, because the passion here, you don't find anywhere else. The, from the fans, from the intensity of the game, how fast, quick the game is, the demand they, they put on you the, to, to get results. It's such an intense game, and I think that's, uh, that's what made me fall in love with it. You're right. Yeah, and it obviously didn't quite work out at, at Burnley, but you, you went across to Ireland. I'm sure it wasn't, I'm sure the, the year you spent in, in Burnley would have helped. Well, it's, uh, I, I, was, I was very, very unfortunate. You know, I came in at a good age, I think at 24. 
uh, I, uh, I broke my leg within within a few weeks when I came in. I was out of the game for about 18, 20 months. And then uh, and then Burnley, to be fair, they looked after me. They sent me when I got getting back to fitness. They sent me uh, to Ireland uh, for a couple of months, I think, with Glen Torrent. Uh, and then and then uh, and then I went to Scotland as well for Air United. So I went in just at the end of uh, just to get some fitness and all the rest of it. And I did that. That was in uh, more of a culture shock. If that makes sense. Uh, I remember Glen Little came uh, from uh, Glen Torrent and I've and uh, to Burnley, and I've gone from Burnley to Glen Torrent the other way around. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, but again, it's, it's about adapting. It's about another. Uh, I just wanted to play football uh, and uh, and being out for the game. You come to a new country. A new environment. Uh, I don't have an agent. I don't have anybody with me. No one to advise me. Uh, then, then you get frozen out with a, with a nasty injury. Uh, what do you do? You know, there is nobody who's going to help you to tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. I didn't want to go back home because that that would have seemed a big failure. I was determined to stay here, and and, and yeah, I end up going to Ireland and, and, and then I signed for Doncaster Rovers the following season. Yeah, I was going to say you um, you dropped in, into non-league and spent the, the majority of your career down there. How how was it compared to non-league now, considering you worked? Well, I was uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's probably uh, my biggest. It's not a regret because you can't really control uh, circumstances. When, uh, when I was here, I came at twenty four. Uh, twenty four. By the time I started playing again, I was twenty six. Twenty six. Nobody knows you. No agent to put me to any football clubs, different football clubs. So so when. Uh, I remember Clive Middlemas at Burnley Football Club. He spoke to uh, Ian Snowden at Doncaster Rovers and he took me there. So Clive pulled me, says, go to Doncaster Rovers. And I went there. I, I didn't know anybody, really, anything. So, yeah, I ended up uh, playing at Doncaster for two or three years and then uh, and then obviously stayed in the National League, the conference back then, uh, for the rest of the for rest of my career until, until 2008 and nine when we got to the Football, the football League with Stevenage. Were you surprised at the quality of, of the football in the non-league, considering in other countries maybe the non-league game's not quite as strong, but it's fiercely competitive in this country? Well, it was very similar, really, to the to, to the League 2 and League 1. There's not much difference. I remember the Doncaster team that I played in. Uh, we had some fantastic players. We had Steve Nichols from Liverpool, the ex-centre-back Liverpool. We have John Sheridan, the, the centre midfielder with us. We have Mike Newell, uh, Blackburn Rovers centre-forward. Uh, you know, that's my team at Doncaster. We had some Premier League players in that team. So, uh, yeah, the, the quality of players, some fantastic football as well. Uh, I remember the, the old Bellevue with beautiful pitch, big pitch. Uh, no, it was... Uh, it was with the, the AR Football League and some of them Premier League players. Yeah, were you... Um, did you ever get frustrated that you weren't getting picked up by clubs clubs higher up, maybe playing more in the Football League than, than you did? Well, I... I uh, Again, it's, uh, you know, uh, hopefully I'll be a luckier manager than I was a footballer. I remember in my second year at Doncaster, I think, and by then I was maybe 27, 28, and, uh, and, and Cardiff City came in for me. Uh, Cardiff City, they were in the old champion, the first division back then, but championship now. And, uh, and they came in for me in March 2000, I think, uh, on deadline day. And uh, I remember Ian Snowden, the manager, pulled me on the Monday. The deadline was was Wednesday. Uh, pulled pulled me on on the Monday and says we agreed a deal for you to go to Cardiff City, uh, uh, and we were, we had a game against Southport on the Tuesday night. He pulled me out of the game, and I was supposed to go on Wednesday morning to sign the paper and then do everything. And then that deal fell through for one reason or another, um, 
and then they never looked back. You know, when he got to 28, I think it was it'll be too late then to get you moved back into the football league and to get back to championship level. It'll, it'll be it'll be too late. Like anybody, I think uh, if we see the progression of young players from non-league to the football league, they get spotted at 20, 21, 22. Yeah. Uh, but by then I was 27, 28. Like I said, when I came here, it was 24, 24. Didn't play for two years. You're 26. By 26, you probably missed. Uh, you know, people from high division, they look for the younger ones, don't they? Yeah, you certainly made the most of the career, though, playing until you were, you know, just shy of your 40th birthday. What was your um, what was your success, you know, the key to playing for so long? Well, I'm, I, uh, I pride myself on my fitness. I've always have. Uh, I've always been, when I was younger, I've always been the fittest player in every team I played for. And I kept that up, really. Uh, and I'm still fit now. I still go to the gym regular. Uh, keep on top of myself and I think that's probably uh, the way I eat, the way I, I lead my life. I've uh, I spent all my life ded- dedicating myself to football and um, and that's probably, there is no secret to it. It's about dedication, really. It's about uh, making it a way of life, if that makes sense. Yeah, when you were, as you were getting older, were you ever, you know, wanting to be a manager or was it something that just sort of happened? Manager? No, I've always, uh, uh, my management is always in my pathway. Uh, if we go back again, uh, to 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 my couple of years injury at Burnley, uh, you know I didn't uh, I didn't uh, I thought I spent that time wisely. So in those two years, while I'm getting rehab, I actually started coaching at Burnley Football Club Academy, and I do uh, two three nights a week with under 12, 13, 14 uh, to get my English better, to expand my English language as well, to get grasp of it. Plus to to get into coaching as early as I can. So those two years I got into coaching and I, and I remained. Even when I got back playing full-time football at Doncaster Rovers and various other clubs, I kept my academy uh, uh, job at Burnley Football Club. So I used to uh, go train at Doncaster Rovers in the morning, drive back at night time, three nights a week. Um, on, on a Monday night, on a Wednesday night, on a Thursday night, I'll be taking uh, one of the age groups at Burnley Football Club Academy. And I've done that for about eight years, really. And that's when I got my, my coaching badges. Uh, the B license. I've uh, I passed my A license. I think when I was 29, uh, a very young age. So I knew my pathway was, you know, I've done football, what I've done, and I, and I want to get on as a manager uh, when I finish playing. Yeah, in the end, you got your big chance with uh, Northwich Victoria, and uh, taking over as the club falls into administration, which is never easy. Uh, it's a bit of a baptism of fire for you. <laughs> well, it's uh, you know. Uh, you, you, you don't really, when you're at that level, you don't get to choose. You know, when you're rookie manager, it's your first chance as management. Uh, you just got to back yourself. And that's certainly what I did. I remember uh, we had a horrific start to the season. Uh, Neil Redfern was the manager there. And I think uh, we had 15 games and we, had, uh, we only picked up two points from 15 games. We were rock bottom, uh, certain for relegation. Actually, the bookies will stop taking bets on us going down. The club is going to go to administration. Uh, people not getting paid. There is so many problems. Northwich Victoria was a very, very lovely, good club at non-league level at the time. We had a lovely new stadium. We, it was a club is going to go on, but unfortunately, they some really, um, financial problem. And uh, the chairman rang me and he says, uh, "Well, um, you coach at Burnley. Uh, you're the most experienced players. Do you want to take this job?" <laughs> so uh, I had no choice really. So uh, I took it and. Uh, and and yeah, and we end up uh, we end up going on an unbelievable run of games in the second half of the season, 
Um, I think we're averaging about 1.4 points per game, which is which is a playoff form to to keep the, to save the club from relegation with the game to spare. Yeah, you certainly didn't do badly winning the uh, Manager of the Year award for the for the division at the end of the year. Yeah, I did. I I, I remember uh, Aldershot won the league with uh, with Gary Waddick that season, and uh, and I remember I got the Manager of the, the League award, and uh, you know, and everybody I I, I remember clearly. On the 22nd of, of May 2008, uh, we had two games left. We played uh, Stevenage on Tuesday night at Stevenage and Cambridge at home on the Saturday. Cambridge already in the playoffs. Stevenage, they have to beat us on the Tuesday night to get in the playoffs. We have to pick three points. I remember we beat Gray's, Gray's Athletic on the Saturday, 1-0, and we had to beat Stevenage at Stevenage to stay up so we don't have to go to the last game of the season. And uh, ironically, ironically we end up uh, beating Stevenage at Stevenage 2-1. And, uh, and I remember Chris Wilder on the way back on the coach. Chris Wilder was a Halifax at the time. They end up getting relegated. He sent me a text. I still got the text now. Um, F, F need, you know. Uh, you needed snookers. How do you manage to do that? <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the fun, funny memories. So, uh, but look at him now and look at me now. He's gone on to the Premier League and I'm, uh, and I'm looking for a job. <laughs> yeah, did you? Would you ever have thought at that point that he'd go on to to, to do so well with Sheffield United and Oxford and the likes? No, I didn't. Uh, I played against uh, Chris Wilder's team a while, uh, a few times. I think uh, I think he's done brilliant, absolutely brilliant, uh, and and I love the fact that he worked from uh, from not just non-league, even below the conference level. Uh, to work all the way in every division to get to the Premier League, that's a huge, huge achievement. And and to be fair, it's uh, there is no magic wand there. Chris Wilder was a uh, uh, self belief, uh, work ethic, and uh, he he got certain traits that got him all the way to the top. And uh, you can only uh, you can only admire that. Yeah, and then obviously you had coaching spells in the football league under uh, Graham Wesley. Just how big an impact was he on your career? Well, um, so the season we stayed up at Northwich, uh, obviously in that summer we hit a little bit of brick, brick wall. Uh, the club was, was uh, a lot of problem behind the back, uh, behind the scenes, and the club was uh, end up uh, end up really going down three or four division for uh, going to administration and for some regality. Basically, they uh, they gone down. So uh, so I got the phone call from Graham Wesley, which is he was a manager when I, I played for him at Stevenage as a player. And uh, and he asked me to come and uh, be his assistant at Stevenage. You know, they were they were they started the season. They didn't start the season well. I think they were 19th in the league after 11, 12, 15 games. Not sure. And um, and I came in to have a chat with him and uh, had a couple of uh, have a look at the squad and had a look at where we need to improve. And then uh, and then we we stayed together. We ended up going an unbelievable uh, unbeaten run, about 24 games unbeaten run when I joined in. And uh, we end up sneaking in the playoffs that year. We lost to Cambridge in the semi-final, though, and then we won the trophy final at Wembley. I enjoyed it that much. I decided to stay after that because at the end of the season it was. Uh, I've only agreed to stay at the end of the season, and uh, but I knew me and Graham were clicked with the chairman, and we knew that we want to take the football club forward. And, uh, and I end up staying, and then uh, and then obviously the following season we uh, we got promoted as a champion, another Wembley appearance, double promotion from League Two to League One. Uh, actually, when we left Stevens, we left them fifth in, in League One. Yeah, and then obviously you went to uh, Preston. 
Yeah, we went to Preston. It was uh, probably was the wrong move if you look back at it now. Um, it was a lot of discussion at the time. Should we go? Should we not go? Uh, obviously, Graham is a decision maker. He's a manager. We, we are a management team sometimes and we discuss a lot of things. Uh, and, and the good thing about Graham, he never treated me. Uh, he valued my opinion greatly. And, and there was a lot of discussion between us if what we should do because we had a brilliant team at Seavridge. I think it was third year our third year together, and we were flying. And uh, we certainly get in the playoffs that season in League One to the championship, really. And then, mm. and then Preston came in, and, you know, and it's hard for a manager like Graham to turn down Preston off end. Uh, and, uh, and then we decided to go. Uh, obviously, the, our experience, it was, uh, it was a very tough one, uh, but we learned a huge amount from it, from managing a small club like Seavridge to a huge club like Preston. With the problem, with the big budget, our task, I think we inherited an £8 million budget and we had to bring it down to two, £3 million budget. That's just... You go up there and you upset a lot of people straight away. Yeah. Uh, players who've been there for a few years are earning a huge amounts of money. You go and tell them, well, you've got no, no place for your other club anymore. And, and that will, you know, that's never easy, really. Uh, we struggled for a year, probably. Uh, but with uh, probably what Graham says is we've done a fantastic job in terms of uh, uh... and then obviously you had um, non non league spells back with Southport and Nuneaton. But then you went back to your old club, Stevenage. Did you did you speak to to Graham before uh, taking the job? Hello, you... oh, no, sorry, I missed that bit there. Oh no, it's <laughs> fine. So um, you went back to Stevenage in the end as as first yeah. team manager. Did you speak to Graham about taking the job as a first team manager? Yeah. Uh, no, no. At the time, um, no, I haven't. I think I'm not sure where Graham is. You know, he might have been a bias at the time. Uh, no, after I, I was at Nuneaton. I ended up going to Nuneaton. And obviously, I've done really well at Nuneaton. And, uh, and I remember Phil Wallace, the chairman at Stevenage, uh, he called me and he says, uh, Dino, wherever you go, you win. That was his words. I still remember them now. He <laughs> says, I want, I, want, uh, I want a bit of that winning at my football club. Uh, I think Stevenage were close to the relegation when I took over in 2018. Uh, we had nine games, I think, to, to keep, steer them away from relegation. Uh, we did that. And, uh, and the following season, we, we, we had a fantastic season. I had the, to scrap everybody on, in the summer and build the whole team from scratch. And uh, we had a brilliant season where we won 20 games. We got 70 points. We missed out the playoff in the last day of the season by goal difference. Uh, Newport scored last minute against Morecambe to deny us place in the playoffs. Um, yeah, that first season, we had a brilliant year at Stevenage. Yeah, you um you led them, you know, right up up the table, and um, no manager since has had as as high a, a win record, a win percentage. No. As you did. What um, do you think happened at Stevenage that's now made him drop through drop straight down? Well, uh, after the first uh, successful season we've had, uh, that summer was a difficult summer. Uh, the first one, a second one. It's uh, something that I've learned from in terms of our pre-season. We had, uh, we had a horrific pre-season in terms of the injuries. I remember going to the first game of the season to Salford 
and I had nine of my first team players who's who's played last game of the previous season. Nine of them were injured, wow. and, uh, and 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 that was really difficult. You know, a week before the season start, you had nine first team players injured, and I ended up playing with the two three players making their debuts. It was difficult, and that reflect on the start. For we had seven games, I think, without a win. Uh, and we had the three draws, four losses in those seven games. We weren't, we weren't getting, we were, we were get, getting edged out in games. You know, we were drawing games. We were getting edged out one nil against Bradford, uh, one nil there, and uh, we weren't really. But, but the fact is, I had a lot of my players without injured. Uh, I think, uh, I think the club reacted too quickly um, to change me. I think after seven games, because I think. Uh, my record uh, the previous season at least would warrant me to give me more time in terms to get my first team players back in the back on the pitch um, and I think that's decision uh, you know they make a decision and they live and die by and I think that decision uh, you know since I left I think uh, well 15 games later they only managed to win four games since uh, so I'm sure uh, the, the hierarchy of Steve they look at that decision and they think well they uh, they acted uh, too quickly then and uh, when they changed it it wasn't really the right decision to do yeah they certainly might be regretting it now but um you've jumped more or less straight in to uh, old athletic what was it like um last season with obviously covid hitting what what was it what was it like to deal with the club well uh you know uh, the, the first thing is when i got the call about oldham i think i've got it two days after i've uh, i left Stevens, i got the call from oldham and um, and the first thing is, I think, of Oldham Athletic is a big club. It's an ex-Premier League club. That's first thing, uh, big stadium, big fan base. And uh, and I couldn't refuse the offer. I knew there was a lot of... Uh, they didn't start the, world, the season well. They were 23rd in the league, I think, when I took over. Uh, they had their own problem as well. I think they, they haven't won a home game since the start of the season. And, uh, and I looked at... I, I jumped straight away, basically. And I went in there and the job was... Um, I always try and make it clear when I take jobs from uh, from the chairman because clarity is uh, the most important thing of uh, of managing, if that makes sense, with the players and with the managing above as well. And the job was uh, to make sure they stay in the football league last season and then get to the summer and then build the team to compete top end of the table. That was uh, that was the job. Uh, obviously, you know, inherited what I inherited, and uh, we did our uh, our best with the with the group of players we've had. Uh, we managed to stay away from relegation with about 90 points from the bottom two. And uh, and then COVID hit. Um, obviously, the you know, uh, I end up leaving for for different reasons because uh, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't what we agreed on at the beginning. And uh, and we decided to move on before the, the, the new season kick on. Yeah, so obviously you left. You left in the July. So what? What's next? What What have you been doing to keep yourself busy? And and what What's next on the horizon for you? Uh, well, you can't go to games. Uh, obviously, you can't do that. But I've uh, I've subs- subscribed to Wise Scout. You guys, you probably know it. And yeah. I've been watching uh, watching a lot of games. I uh, I put myself uh, a couple of games every day. Keep myself busy at all level: League One, League Two, National League. Uh, just keep myself with the players, know the, um, any new trends going on in the game. Um, a lot of learning uh, webinar with the LMA. They, they've been fantastic. They're putting, putting a couple of classes every week. Uh, different speakers. We had Arsene Wenger speak. We had Sam Allardyce speak. We had uh, 
got Southgate speak. We had uh, we had a lot of uh, we had uh, Ancelotti. One of them spoke. So uh, a lot of learning, a lot of evolving. Some reflecting as well at the previous jobs. My strengths as managers, uh, an area that I need to improve on. Uh, prepare myself really for the when I get to that next job. I make sure that I'm uh, I'm ready for it. Uh, I'm taking time with it because if I look back at my last five jobs, actually. Every job I took, there were there was a team in the bottom two, and uh, I end up a specialist in terms of uh, uh, saving those clubs. Every every job I took, I managed to uh, to improve their points per game at least by fifty percent and keep them safe. So I'm hoping my next job would be a job where uh, with a team with a bit of ambition for promotion because uh, I need those uh, promotion my CV as a manager as well, and, and I'm determined to do that. Yeah, no, that's interesting that you talk about um, your next job. But um, how, how do you feel you operate best as a manager? Is it when you're in control of everything or when you delegate roles to your management team? Or how do you feel like you work best? Uh, I, think, uh, I think the word control is an interesting one because uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, the, the biggest thing he spoke about is control. In the modern game, to get control is really, really, really difficult. Uh, because you find uh, different type of chairman now how they were 20 years ago. There's a lot of sporting directors, directors of football, head of recruitment. All those jobs got jo- uh, all those people got jobs to make decisions well, as well as you are. Um, I think uh, I think you got to to be adaptable. You got to be move on with the time. Yeah, I yeah. think there is a, there is room for to work with the sporting directors. There is with with directors of football. Definitely, there is room for to have a head recruitment where he can tap into areas where where you, you where you as a manager you want to focus on bigger things. If that makes sense, uh, I always try to focus on the the three big things that make the most the biggest impact onto the team and to the players. So delegating those jobs in the right way would definitely help my, the the manager to. Uh, to manage his team better, if that makes sense. Um, so, so you you have to be adaptable to whichever situation. Mm. But the most important one is, it's a, it's a clarity. Is if I go to a football club, speak to the chairman, Mr. Chairman, what do you want from me, and what do you want? How do you see your football club in next two three years? Let's agree to that first, and then when we agree to that, start working backwards from there. So that's where we, we want to be, and let's work back from there. And we stick to that. Yeah. The results, the results will go up and down, and uh, and but you got to stay in the same principle. You start, you you got to believe in the the process that is going to get you there. If you're going to swap and change and get upset because you lost the game, and that's that's not gonna that's not gonna be beneficial to you as an owner or to your football club. And I've always tell them, especially at our level, League One and League Two and National League, I tell chairman there is two ways you're going to get success. You either spend loads and loads of money on it, at it or yeah. give a manager time to build a team. Uh, and, and I look back at, you know, uh, League Two, for example, and I look back and I'm thinking, well, the two managers that I really admire, uh, John Coleman at and Gareth Ainsworth at Wickham. Mm. Gareth, Gareth Ainsworth at Wickham, in 2015, they stayed in League Two with last game of the season by goal difference. They didn't go and sack him with him. They stayed with him. Four years later, he's in the championship now. 
John Coleman the same. I can't remember the season, 2016, 17, or 15, or 14. Again, they were very, very, very close to relegation out of the Football League, Accrington, Stanley. They didn't go and change John Coleman. They gave him more time. And now I watch Accrington, and they play a beautiful brand of football, well-established team in League One, with very, very little resources. Same as Wicked. They, they got their identity. Everybody know how, what Wicked like. Everybody know what Accrington like. But that's over. They're both managers that had seven, eight, nine years together. And that gives you success. Or if you have a big budget, you can go throw money at it, and you will get promoted. Hopefully, not guaranteed. What I guaranteed is time. Give someone time. Trust someone, a manager, to give him enough time to get you somewhere, and you will get there. And I've always said it, either money or time. You can't, you can't be, you can't, you know, I've, I've had jobs, you know, I've had the, the jobs I've had, small budget, but they expect top results. And I'm thinking, well, you can't really. If you, if you want that, you've got to spend that. If you're a League Two club and you want to guarantee top three position, you've got to spend two point something million to get promotion out of the league. If you're a million pound budget, like I was a Stevenage when we got to miss out of the playoffs with one point, you got to be exceptional to break in the top 10. We had the third lowest budget in the league the season that we got 70 points. Behind us with Macclesfield and uh, Morecambe and then Stevenage. I finished one point outside the playoffs. Those other two teams finished 21st and 22nd. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so I think judging a manager, I think you should judge him on the resources he got available to him. Sometimes, as a manager, I'm averaging probably, uh, I've got about just shy of 40% win ratio. 39%, 40%, I think, around there. You look at that and you think, well, that's okay. That's, that's good enough. That's uh, better yeah. than a lot of managers who's working now. But why is he not a 50 or 60, 70%? Because I never worked with teams who, were, who, who, got, who top three, top four teams where they're going to win a lot of games. If you look at Pep, if you look uh, as example or, uh, or Klopp, those managers, they're going to win a lot of games anyway because they're Man City. Man City doesn't matter who the manager is. They're going to win a lot of games. Yeah. And I love Pep, by the way. I love Klopp. But I'm just giving an example of if you are a big club uh, with better players, you're going to win a lot anyway. Regardless who the manager is, you're going to get a 60% win ratio anyway. But my win ratio is came with teams from, from the bottom two. They were averaging all the, every team I took they were averaging about 0.6 to 0.7 points per game. And I moved every one of those teams, the five teams that I managed, to 1.3, 1.4, 1.5. So I actually doubled their points per game in every job I took. So I think as a manager, and not just for myself, you've got to be judged on the resources you have available to you. The type of teams and the job, the points per game is big for me. when When you took a club, what I inherit, What's what you inheriting and where you left that, that team there? And that's the improvement that I see it. And you guys, you know a lot of us about uh, uh, analyzing things, football and all the rest of it. And I analyze jobs like that as well. I, I'm, I'm big on uh, analysis and, uh, and I break everything down because, uh, because that's what the market say. It's definitely one of the things that are moving football forward with is analysis. How would you implement it into your coaching process at a club? Is it a big part of the post-match? Is it a part of the pre-match? Could you talk us a bit through how you would, as a coach, implement it? Well, it's massive for me. It's, it's massive. I know a lot of people saying, well, that, but I think it gives you guidance. Definitely. Definitely. If you break a game down, it gives you trends. It puts you 
in a position, if I'm discussing with my coaching staff, where I look at um, a monthly review, let's say, um, you know, if I'm looking at we're not scoring enough goals, well, what's the reason for that? And you look at the attacking third entry, the tough entry we made. Uh, I'll, I'll break it down pages and pages and pages and pages. And, uh, and there, is always, there is always a reason for it. If you look uh, close enough, you'll find the reason within the game you're playing. So how I implement that, I'm, I'm big on watching games back. I'm big on watching, reviewing. Uh, I've got a match pack, I call it. And I've got a monthly review in every club I took. I have uh, my, uh, my uh, anal uh, analysis uh, guy. They, uh, they probably don't like me very much because I give them a lot of lot, workload to do. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, uh, and I break it down to certain segments, really. Uh, in possession, out possession, most of it, and set plays. And these three areas I look at in terms of set plays, how many times the first contact, attacking or defending, uh, the second ball. So everything I break down, I, I really. But then when I, get, when I show it to the players, with the players, I've only given them no more than three points. The biggest points, again, I look at, the, you look at everything because you don't want to complicate it too much to them. Mm -hmm. I break it down to them and pick a big three points. I'm big on three points. You give them the big three points. What do we need to do there? We're getting that because of that. Look at that. Yeah, that's so, a big thing. So, yeah, so I remember our Stephen a couple of years ago. Uh, we had a lot of success from scoring from crosses. And, uh, and, and we knew that if we deliver 20 crosses a game, we will get two goals. Two goals, you are 8% certain you're going to win the game. So I want to be in the 8% bracket of winning the match. So I'll make sure that we work on our crosses, certain areas we cross from. Uh, there, is a, there is certain areas. So if you are outside outside the box to the touchline, you hang the ball to the back post because that's where you're going to get the second ball. You're, going to, you're not going to score from the first phase. You're going to score from second phase. If you are in the middle of the 18-yard wide area, you cross it by the penalty spot because that's where the goal is going to come from. First phase. If you are in the byline, I used to be showing with my players video and work with the training round, pull back to the second six-yard box, I call it, which is around the penalty spot. Yeah. On the floor, because most goals get scored from there. So, so the runs of my forward, you go in to pull back. As a wide player or a full back, if you get to the byline, you have to pull that ball back. You just got to pull it back, try it on the floor as well. And that's how you get. So, so you break everything down. You know where you get your success from and harness that and work with that. And then, and then at least then your wide players know where he's crossing the ball. So if we know where the wide player is crossing the ball from, we know where the forward is going to attack it from. And that way you create like cohesion in the team where there is understanding in the team. So uh, I use the, you know, I use the, the camera in training. Um, I'm big on watching games back, uh, big on analyzing my team, the opposition. So I think, uh, I think uh, it's, everything is about analyzing really. Give, you, give me anyway uh, a good measure to where I'm going to, what, what I want to, it's always relevant to it, isn't it? There's always relevant. Would you say that then the analysis side that you've looked at, has this affected your game model and how you set up your teams in a certain way? Because you've not always had the time when you've joined your jobs, especially with Stevenage, you joined mid-season. Does that affect yeah. how you implement that style of play or game model as we'd call it? Uh, well, um, I remember when I first took Stevenage, I think they were 19th in the league. Uh, and uh, and over there, I looked at them and I'm, they 
they didn't realize at the time. My first meeting with them was uh, with the team that I inherited at the time, March 2018, 17, maybe, or 18, 17. I'm not sure. I can't remember the year, sorry. Uh, my first meeting with them, with them was I looked at the team, and over the previous 26 games, if the league started 26 games before, we would have been top of the bottom of the league. We, we were 24th over the last 26 games of the season, averaging 0.6 points per game, something like that. And when I, when I wrote this on the board to the players, the players were shocked because the league table says they're 19th. But actually, the league table of the last 26 games, they were rock bottom. So that realization first, see where you are. That's where you are. Why are you there? Because you concede a lot of goals. A lot of them late goals, they're conceding. So analyze that. You have a look at where, where, they, where they're failing and then share it with them. They become aware of it. You know, I used to say it as a joke, you know, if you are an alcoholic or a gambler, you don't uh, cure that problem unless you actually look at the fact and says, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a gambler. Then you start cure it. So the first thing is realization where you fell falling short. With the proof, you know, with the, the proof is video. You, 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 got, you got video, you got stats in front of you. We're not scoring goals because we're not making enough attacking entry. We're not doing that because of that. Because if we're making 260 passes per game, you're not going to create a lot of chances. Mm-hmm. So, so you break everything down. You share it with your players, with your staff. This is where we are, and this is how we're going to go forward. To do that, we need to, how are we going to get to attacking third? By controlled possession. How are we going to do that? We've got to be braver on the ball. We've got to trust each other with the ball. Let's, not just, let's make sure that when we regain the ball, that first pass is crucial to get us control of possession and then build up play from there. So you break it down, you make it enjoyable, you make them part of the process, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you struggle with buy-in occasionally, though, with a lot of senior pros who have obviously gone through and not had analysis in the level of detail you're describing? Do you find trying to get them on side, especially with the statistical and the video, as something to manage? Well, well, it does get get boring uh, sometimes, but what, um, you always got to be conscious with it, not doing too much with it. So what I used to do is, uh, Monday we always do a group. Monday and Friday we do a group one because Monday you review the, the weekend's game. The Friday you, you're talking about the opposition on the, on the Saturday. But then you got Tuesday and Thursday, you break them into your groups. You get the defenders together in the three small, small groups. Sometimes you get the goalkeeper together, the forward together, the wide players together. So you end up doing a lot of unit work at lunchtime where even the shy people, in the, uh, I find in the, in the group, smaller groups, you find that people talk a lot more. They take more initiative. They, they learn. You, they, they, they value that because they think, oh, actually, you've got 30 players and you spend, you, you invest in time with me. So you get the, that's how you get the buy-in from smaller groups, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally agree. I think... Is that was that taken from any other sports? Because I know the NFL are very big in America on the unit instead of the individual, or then as a collective. Or was that something that you picked up on from other places in your career? I think uh, I think you pick on it from uh, from from working really from practice. As you practice, uh, I think it, it, it's really important to learn from other sports. I, I agree with it, and I see a lot of NFL, I see a lot of basketball, I read a lot of books about that and all the rest of it. And it's it, basically it's, it's about getting the best out of individual in order to improve a collective effort, to improve a team. And the best way to do that, if you, uh, you know, ideally, of course, you spend a lot of one-on-one as well with the players, 
but you don't have enough time to spend one on one all week with them. You pick and choose. But you find the, the you know, you, you come to the conclusion where, yes, collective videos sometimes they get boring. I don't want a room of 30 people talking how our back four defending because if I'm a centre forward there, I'm thinking this is boring me. I don't want to, I don't want to hear about as a, as a centre back how we're going to open his body up and, and how to, you know, mark half space and to do that. They're not, they won't be interested in that. They turn them off. Mm-hmm. And I've been player and I understand that as well. So I'll end up just the big groups is all about the team. The team, the theme is about the team. The smaller groups is about individual groups and individual players and groups. So we're just going to wrap up the podcast now because I'm quite conscious of time, but we've got a few quick, quick, quick fire questions from our listeners. So It's gone very quick, to be that's fair. That's all right, no worries. The first one is then, what's been your favourite game that you've ever coached in, either as a manager or as an assistant? Uh, my favourite game is uh, Northridge Victoria Stevenage Football Club in 2008. Uh, the game we went 2 1. Uh, where uh, we stayed in the league. That's my favourite night in football as a manager. Who is the best player in your career that you've managed or coached across all levels? Uh, I would say uh, George Boyd's attitude is the best I've ever seen, uh, with the talent he has as well. Uh, I think the best one I would probably go out there. I might upset one or two, Luke Freeman, another one, he might get upset. But I think Ilias Chair at QPR not good for you, the bees. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Elias Chair is, uh, is, uh, he was fantastic. Uh, every level. Uh, he was brave with the ball. He's talented. Uh, he was a maverick and I loved working with him. What is uh, the biggest challenge as a coach you've faced in your career? Uh, I think uh, managing expectation probably uh, the biggest one. Uh, for any manager, really, because especially now with the social media and how big it is, I think uh, I think the influence of you know uh, there is no consequences is in you lose a game and the social media everybody wants you out and that put pressure on us sometimes to react. While in the past, uh, probably there wasn't as much social media and the owners would give managers more time if that makes they don't react into the social media. But I think the introduction of social media. And, uh, and the free uh, criticism, you know, everybody can go, even if he's not a fan, he go and jump on someone's bandwagon uh, on a bad weekend and get him out, get him out, get him out. And that put pressures, I think, on football clubs and owners to make a decision and more likely they're going to be wrong decision. And lastly, to finish up, if there was one law you could change the game of football, what would it be? Oh, I never thought of this one. Uh, it can apply to all levels so something like get rid of VARs up there then we're bored the world could say uh, that no I, I actually I don't I don't mind VAR I think there was a, I don't like the five subs uh, but hopefully that's not going to stay long if there is one rule I would change uh, it would be probably uh, goal kicks long long goal kicks not allowed to kick it no longer than a certain area. You've got to play from the back, basically. Would that be because, in football, uh, or would you go like across the board? I, I think across board. Can you imagine no goal kick? You, go, you, <laughs> you can't play long goal kicks, if that makes sense. Yeah, that would certainly change some I, I th- teams in League 2, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that's one of the ugliest things in football. I remember when I first came to England, 
And we never do that where I come from in Tunisia. We just play with the other team, retrieve and we play from the back. And then, and then everybody huddles up to one corner of the pitch and the goalkeeper kicks it there and everybody jumps it. And I never got that. A few years later, I got it. But I found it very weird. And I'm thinking, you know, I think we're the only country in, in the world who do that. Everybody holds up in one side of the pitch and the goalkeeper kicks it and everybody goes jump and head it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the ugly, ugly part of football. I don't enjoy that. Brilliant. I'm, I must say there's some great insight there from you and I really, really do appreciate you spending your time with us this afternoon. And thank you so much. And it's been an honour to chat to you. No worries at all. I'm sorry for the time. I know we could have chatted for a lot longer, but uh, thank you very much. Keep doing what you're doing. You're fantastic guys. And, uh, and I'll watch out. Have uh, off your, uh, your podcast and I'll follow you. Brilliant. Thanks, Dino. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dino. Thank you, guys. Take it easy. Bye. 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 Right. That concludes the eighth episode of the Bees Analytica podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It's been great to get some guests on and we couldn't do it without any of your support. Please remember to like, subscribe and share it where you can. It does really massively help with the views. Thank you and we're on to the next one.